You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. We're going to continue our series uh, called Social Distance uh, today. Uh, I was originally going to uh, speak today about uh, reconciliation and uh, how to kind of, we're, we're talking not about staying distant, but God bringing us together spiritually, even if we have to stay physically distant at times and in this cir- uh, circumstance that we're in. But uh, my best friend Marshall came into town. Um, he had to come into town for a, a memorial service for a good friend of, of his in the Orange County region, uh, Morrow, uh, who passed away, and uh, but uh, brought him into town. And so I, I uh, roped him in. And so he's just taking my topic, and he had preached on the topic not too long ago. So he kind of reworked it for us. So we get to hear from him. So if you don't know Marshall, you'll know he has a great gift of communicating. We've been best friends for over 30 years, I believe, and uh, in each other's weddings, best man in each other's weddings. Um, He's kind of like, when you you hear him preach, you'll see he's kind of like me, but funnier, much funnier and much better. Um, A little bit weirder, but... uh, but uh, we, 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 we love uh, their family so much. Uh, we've been together in ministries together. He was in our region for a long time. They led the, uh, the, our, our campus ministry at Long Beach for a long time. But then he was off in the Middle East and, and uh, then in the Southwest and then back and out of the ministry and then back in the ministry. Uh, he has such a gift that I always was praying when he was out of the ministry that God would bring him back into the ministry. And so grateful God brought him back into the ministry. And most recently... On my wife's birthday uh, in 2017, he decided to tell us he was moving away again as we were celebrating her birthday. Thanks a lot. And uh, But they moved to lead the church in Orlando, which is a great one of our great churches. In our, if you're visiting with us, we're part of a network of churches around the world called the International Churches of Christ. And Orlando is a great historic church, really important church in our fellowship, a very diverse congregation, um, you know, been around a long time. And th- that church is, uh, was planned to host uh, this huge conference for all of our churches uh, called uh, the, the World Discipleship Summit, which was supposed to take place this last summer. So Marshall had to navigate all of that, setting it all up, putting all this work into it, and then having to disassemble it all as, uh, you know, as things happen this year, this crazy, crazy year we're in. Uh, so he might share more about that, but uh, that has been pushed forward. It's going to look a little different, but it's still happening. Uh, it's just not going to be Vision 2020. It's Vision 2022. Sure. So, uh, but uh, anyway, I appreciate Marshall taking that on and just the headache that we've all given to him and this world has given to him, uh, but he's really proven faithful through it all. So really excited to get to hear from him today. So let's uh, give him a warm welcome from your own couch. And, uh, let's hear it. Amen. Well, it is great to be here, and yes, thank you for reminding me that uh, 2020 was not what what we had planned. Uh, it was not my vision, which I, I'm persuasive, and so I really tried to persuade God to stick with my vision, uh, but instead he decided to give bless me with two more years of organization of a conference that I wish now was over and done with. Um, so yeah, 2020 has been great. Instead of a, a conference that we got to celebrate, I I uh, started seeing a doctor for anxiety, uh, and then three weeks ago I had double hernia surgery. So, I mean, it's really a trade-off, you know. It's been, <laughs> it's not what I've expected at all this year. Um, but to God be the glory, and uh, His plans are uh, as far as the heavens are above the earth. So great are His plans 
than our plans and his ways than our ways. And so, uh, yeah, I am excited to uh, discuss the whole topic of reconciliation. It's something I've studied out a lot. It's something that as the family of God, we really need to become uh, good at. Uh, this is not uh, something we're known for as churches and fellowship of churches is really dealing with things, bringing it to reconciliation and not just You know, the word reconciling is to restore friendship after estrangement. Uh, So sometimes we can kind of get over it or we can have a good talk about it and and then just sort of realize that you and I are probably not going to be friends anymore, but at least we hit that topic and we're past it. And that's really not what we want in our relationship with God, is it? We want to be reconciled to God. And when we're reconciled to God, we don't want him to just say, I forgive you. I just don't want to be close to you for the next 30 or 40 years uh, until you get to heaven. And and really, I see Jesus in you and then kind of do a second wave of forgiveness. That's not what we want. We want not only reconciliation, but a restoration of of relationship. And so actually, the the text of this lesson is David and Absalom. And we're going to study, this has been uh, our topic in Orlando, the, the, the whole idea of kingdom versus empire. And the thread that God's kingdom is going through the history of the world up till now And the idea that empire is so alluring to us. Uh, Empire is when we take over the story of God because we're just not patient or trusting enough in him. And so we begin to build our own empire. But the kingdom is something of trust. It's it's something where we trust in God's story uh, during this time. And so we've just taken different chapters. And I had uh, David and Absalom and the story there. And if you're familiar with the story, great. Uh, If not, I'm going to try to give you some backstory, but I'm going to fly through it. So I would ask you to kind of go back and read it. And I think when we think of the story of David and Absalom, what comes to mind? Uh, I'm going to sort of jump right to... Uh, The picture of Absalom that we usually find in our mind when his name is mentioned, and it begins in chapter 15. It says, In the course of time, Absalom provided himself with a chariot and horses, and with 50 men to run ahead of him. He He would get up early and stand by the side of the road leading to the city gate. Whenever anyone came with a complaint, Uh, before the king for a decision, Absalom would call out to him, hey, what town are you from? He would answer, you know, hey, your servant uh, is from one of the tribes of Israel. And Absalom would say to him, look, your claims are valid and proper, uh, but there is no representation for the king to hear you. Does it look, does it sound like Absalom is campaigning? Are you already annoyed with campaign ads and political ads, I'm done with it. Uh, but Absalom is is campaigning. Oh, well, yeah. He, he had his sign out front. He had his little booth. He was shaking hands, kissing babies, and, and really beginning to mount a rebellion against the uh, incumbent king who happened to be his father. When anyone would approach him and bow down, Absalom would reach out his hand and take hold of him and kiss him as if like, hey, no, 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 we're equals. I'm not, I'm not the son of the king right now. You and I are just good buds. You know, don't you love these billionaires trying to act like they're our best friends and our buds and they relate to us? Anyway, we're not going to get political. But Absalom behaved this way toward all the Israelites who came to the king for justice, and he stole the hearts of the people of Israel. And, and that's kind of our picture of Absalom. And even if you've read the tale of three kings, it, it sort of paints this, this Absalom versus David. And, and David is given all this credit for righteously abdicating the throne. And, and I really actually am going to 
lean in on David on this sermon, all right? Sometimes I think David gets a man after God's own heart, free pass for his whole kingdom, just a little blip on the map with Bathsheba, but that got reconciled. And I think actually David's sin contributed much more to the story of Absalom. And so in terms of reconciliation, well, first, how did we get here? How did we get to this point where David and Absalom are on completely two different pages? David and his own son are totally at odds. So again, I'm going to go quickly here through the backstory, but it actually starts before Absalom's birth with David's choice to marry Absalom's mom. And it wasn't love. It wasn't dating or courtship. She literally was a prize from battle. David and his men went and raided the Geshurites. And then David begins to have sons in Hebron in 2 Samuel chapter 3. And you'll notice Absalom is the third son born to him by the three different women. And this son is the son, Absalom is the son of Makkah, the daughter of Talmai, the king of Geshur. So when he raided Geshur, he took the prize off the king's mantle. Sort of an in-your-face to the king. I, I not only conquered you, I'm going to take your daughter, marry her, and have a child with her. And really, she's not mentioned a whole lot. Uh, in fact, as Absalom flees, he goes back to Geshur. You wonder if she even lived in the palace with the king, or if this really was, for David, just the spoils of war and his mom... Uh, Absalom's mom maybe never felt included in the kingdom of David. 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12, of course, is the story of Bathsheba, where David sleeps with Bathsheba, has her husband killed. Uh, and by the time David marries Bathsheba, this is probably his seventh or eighth wife. And their son born to Bathsheba dies. Uh, but David really does love and dote on Bathsheba and has many more children with her. Of all the wives, it seems like each one just has one or two sons or maybe a daughter. Uh, but with Bathsheba, he has many children. He does love her. In 2 Samuel 13, again, sometimes we think that's where the story with Bathsheba ends. But I think David's sin was witnessed by his older children. Amnon and Absalom now were probably in their 20s when they watched their father David take Bathsheba and have his way with her. And so Amnon in 2 Samuel 13 uh, is in love with Tamar, who is Absalom's sister. And in fact, she is the only daughter of David that's mentioned in Scripture by name. So she is actually raped by Amnon. And then Amnon, his, her sister or her brother, tells Tamar to keep it hidden. So really, she's not only the victim of assault, but now she's also the victim of just the trauma of keeping this event hidden. David hears about it and he's furious, but there's no record that David doesn't does anything about it. And I think that's kind of the uh, common thread that we're going to see is David just doesn't deal with things. He doesn't deal with things to bring him about to full reconciliation. And that's what's really important. Sometimes we can get mad or we can get angry or we can text or, you know, I didn't appreciate. But do we actually deal with things until they come to resolution. So David does not. And eventually Absalom keeps this under wraps for two years and then plans and kills David's firstborn son, Ab Abnon. And then Absalom flees. And in 2 Samuel chapter 14, now uh, he's on the run. A uh, Absalom is hiding out. And 
And so Joab, who is really supposed to be David's best friend, his right-hand guy, he does not feel comfortable talking to David about the whole situation with Absalom. So he sends a woman in his place who kind of tells this story. And David says, "Is this jo- did Joab send you? And she's like, yes, yeah, she did. And, and then Absalom eventually returns to the kingdom, but does not see his father for two years. And that's where I really want to pick up reading is after two years, you really see that Absalom wants reconciliation. Absalom wants to get in front of his dad and actually deal with it. Yeah, I killed your oldest son. Now, if you want to kill me, let's go for it. I think he really wants to get this time with his father. And keep in mind where we're at now. We're in 2 Samuel 14. Where did we start today? In 2 Samuel 15, when there's a rebellion brewing. So think about this. This is the moment before Absalom decides to totally rebel. This is the one opportunity or the final opportunity that David really has to bring this to a head and reconcile. Absalom, in verse 28, lived two years in Jerusalem without seeing the king's face. Then Absalom sent for Joab in order to send him to the king, but Joab refused to come to him. So he sent him a second time, but he refused to come. Then he said to his servants, look, Joab's field is next to mine. He has barley there. Go set it on fire. (laughs) You guys know about fires, right? So Absalom and his servants set Joab's field on fire. Well, that got Joab's attention finally. (laughs) Joab went to Absalom's house. He's like, why did your servant set my field on fire? Absalom said to Joseph, look, I sent word and said, come here. You know, so I can go to the king and ask, why have I come from Geshur? Remember, Geshur is where his mom was originally from. Right. You wonder if Geshur felt more like a home to Absalom than his home with his father. It would be better for me if I was still there. Now then, I want to see the king's face. If I'm guilty, let him put me to death. So Joab went to the king and told him, and the king summoned Absalom, and he came in. But what happened? He bowed with his face to the ground before the king, and the king kissed Absalom. Does that sound like reconciliation to you? You know, what's the one thing that was missing? How about a conversation? How about a talk? How about, Dad, how are you feeling towards me? Hey, son, this hurt me. Dad, this hurt me. There really is no reconciliation. There's respects that are paid. There's there's a little elbow fist bump, you know. They're still social distanced at this point. It's like there's a plague going on and they just can't get to the two people that need to have a conversation that's going to affect the entire kingdom in one chapter. Starting after chapter 15, there's a huge rebellion and there's many thousands of people killed to reconcile this conflict and one conversation could have ended all that. And he wanted that conversation so bad that he just lit a field on fire, <laughs> right? And you might think that's a weird thing. And, and you know, it's really not. Have, have, have your kids ever started a fire just to get your attention? You know what I mean? To try to get a conversation. Now, hopefully it's not a real fire, but, but have they ever done something that really is so bizarre, so uncharacteristic of them? Sometimes that's the fire, that you have to attend to to get your attention as parents. And I'm not trying to make us as parents feel guilty. Uh, Our kids have their own journey, but I think there are times when our kids really desire 
our attention. You know, I've been kind of on both sides of this. You know, I've, I've felt justified starting a few fires. Well, you know, I'm not in leadership, and I'm just going to sit in the back of the church here and light fires with anybody around me, you know, and, and watch it burn and let, let it, see how they deal with it. Uh, yeah, I, I've made their life miserable more than once. Uh, but I've also been in leadership, too, and, and, and currently leading a church, and I know what it's like to put out some fires, and, and uh, you know, it, it's not fun, and, and there's so much that we can do before it gets to this point. Before it gets to this point where David and Absalom are just not talking, we really got to lean into the recipe for reconciliation. And here's some. Uh, The recipe for spiritual distancing, all right? How do we stay distant? Well, for one, we avoid conflict and hope it just goes away. Uh, None of us really enjoys it. We don't look forward to it. We don't look forward to, this is going to be a hard appointment that's going to last hours, and they just texted me, and they can't even get together till 9.30. So then you start doing the math, like, so now I'm going to be tired at work, and then I'm going to be grumpy there, and then I'm going to have to drink more coffee, whatever. And then you get home at 11.30, and you're like, that didn't solve it. We're going to have to go in for round two. You know what? None of us likes that. But what's the alternative? We've, we can't avoid conflict and hope it goes away. Sometimes we, we do blame leadership. We say, well, they're just unapproachable or they're busy. Again, I've been on both sides of that. I've been so thankful for people that have approached me and just say, you know, can we talk about this situation? A, a campus kid who had just come out of the teens, he was 19, a freshman in college, and, 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 and I had said something about uh, this, this uh, new Christian and his family, and I'm, I was really wanting his parents to become Christians, and I just kind of was mentioning you know, the, the things that I saw in his parents that need to change. And this guy, Brian, overheard me, and he called me as a 19-year-old kid calling a 49-year-old. He goes, you know, I, I really think that you misrepresented his family and parents and kind of spoke out of turn. Even though I know what you were getting at, it just, it just didn't seem respectful. I was so impressed. And, and what do you do after that? Well, you're prideful, or you know what I mean? No, as a leader... You just are humbled by that. You're so appreciative of the courage it took for somebody to approach you and just say, this is what I felt. I'm so thankful for that. But I've also been on the other end of so many people saying, you know, I just felt like you were too busy. And that is like a knife in my heart. Because I think as a minister, especially I did 10 years of structural engineering. And so I I, I wanted to, okay, this is my full-time job now. I'm going to work hard you know, and earn everybody's respect. I, I sometimes default to hero model of ministry and just try to do everything. And Yay, Marshall, you know, look at how much he's doing. That's, that's awesome. Go you, you know. When really an evangelist is supposed to discharge all the duties of ministry, really train and, and raise people up to where they're part of the victory. And I, I don't do that sometimes. And then when somebody says, you know, I, I, I just felt like you were too busy. Ah, oh, I'm so convicted. So as leadership We've got to be approachable, amen? Sometimes sin just being undealt with or unconfessed creates distance. And really, it does even with God, right? You know, sin separates us from God. It also separates us from other people. When we sort of just allow sin back into our life, and during this time of social distancing, maybe you've reacquainted with some old sins that that you felt victorious, and now you're not only just feeling the distance because of Zoom and the unfulfillment of watching church on TV, but you are also just feeling distant from people because there's 
unconfessed and undealt with sin. And then in the story of uh, Absalom and David, all these go-betweens. It's like the two people that need to get together and talk are Absalom and David. Instead, it's like, all right, uh, he coaches this woman to go to David and tell this story about a banished person and God's way to... He's like, is this about Joab? Again, he's three layers removed from his son who he needs to have a conversation with. It's, it's a woman and Joab and Absalom and he's distant and the two people that need to get together and talk are not there. And we use too many go-betweens. Sometimes even social media is our go-between. We, we, we express our grievances there rather than a Matthew 18 approach where we really go and respect the person that sinned and show them their fault and go on from there. Or even just stopping short of conf- true conflict resolution, superficial. I think that was David's sin right here. It was like, so Absalom, oh man, it's been two years, really longer, and Absalom came. How did that go? You know, how did it go with Absalom? I went fine, you know. I mean, he, he bowed down. I mean, and I, I gave him a little, you know, Middle Eastern kiss and... Um, so, so what did you guys talk about? Um, I mean, I don't know that we talked as much, but, it, it, you know, I felt, like, I, I felt like we really connected in that moment, you know? It, and it was so superficial, and they never really got resolved. And so the end result is now fields are burning. And, and David, instead of being king, is now putting out fires. You know, the recipe for reconciliation, we just have to flip the script. It's really dealing with issues and stop avoiding it. None of us likes to do it. Or maybe some of you do. Maybe too much. I don't know. But <laughs> dealing with issues and not avoiding it. Or, or I really think often you do need to involve trusted leadership. They've been in very difficult conversations. I realize uh, I, I have leaned on that through the years. Our, our elders in Orange County and now even in uh, you know, Orlando I'm so grateful for them just being present at time because I need help and I need somebody that that people feel safe with even in a confrontation that I'm involved in. We've got to trust leadership and involve them in these times of reconciliation. Confessing sin, taking responsibility, owning it rather than accusing. Talking directly to that person and assuming the best. Sometimes we create uh, an entire conflict that actually doesn't exist. It was just, oh no, I... That's not really why I meant you to read that text, you know. Uh, but we have created something in our minds. We've got to assume the best and just even start, lead with that. I don't know if this is what you meant. This is how it made me feel. Man, that's a much better thing than, you know, you did this to me. So that's a great uh, recipe for reconciliation. And then keep going. Sometimes, again, I mean, even Jesus was like rubbed mud on a guy's eyes and he's like what do you see it's like trees i don't know i this is what i imagine a tree to look like i've never seen one but like all right well let me try again i mean if jesus had to make a second pass at really opening somebody's eyes do we not think that sometimes reconciliation is not just you know uh, we're sort of that sitcom generation we really want a half hour is the most we can dive into conflict and then have everybody in the family hug and make up afterwards and roll the credits or at least that's how all 80s sitcoms were. You don't even have sitcoms. Now you just have binge TV. But you can imagine, it's more than just a half hour. And then just don't wait for a fire to flare up. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to look at Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians is such a great book uh, of just talking to each other. It, 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 it has so much instruction on just the way we interact and deal with each other. Um, and Ephesians 4 says this, verse 25, 
Each of you must put off falsehood. Pseudos is the, the Greek word. And, you know, for many of us, one of the reasons we never came to church or never set foot in church for years and years and years is we just felt like church people are kind of fake. You know what I mean? They, they sort of give you that smile. Hey, good to see you today. You know, here's your program and go sit down. And, but we don't see the closeness. And I think that's what drew people to this church. That's what drew me. I was like, oh, no, that's actually what scared me. These people aren't fake. Because I was ready to be fake. I was ready after, you know, my time at University of Colorado just being a, a heathen pagan. Uh, when I started studying the Bible, I couldn't wait to just put back on church marshal. And yeah, I know that scripture. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, let's pray, you know. And of course, Jay Kelly called me out within a half hour. I knew I was lost and going to hell. So it was great, you know. But it was so refreshing to find a church that was not pseudos. It was not fake. So we got to speak truthfully. I got to get through this scripture. I'm not going to do a sermon on every word of this passage. <laughs> Speak truthfully to your neighbor. Why? Because we're members of one body. You guys still remember that? We're one body. We're one in Christ. In your anger, don't sin and don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. And don't give the devil a foothold. That's the, the devil wants a foothold in our church. And with this time of social distancing, he's getting it. He's getting it through our differences on major social issues, our differences on political issues. Satan's loving. Ah, oh, I got a foothold here. I got this one between these two. These people can't stand each other. This guy unfriended him. I mean, you know what I mean? Satan's just having a field day. He's got his foot in this during social distancing. Let's not be unaware of that. So don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what's useful or helpful for building others up. Do you realize that Talking right now sometimes is public, right? It's not just a conversation. It's what you post. I think that all of this applies to even our social media presence about not letting unwholesome talk, but things that build others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Uh, and don't grieve the Holy Spirit. I, I think God is grieving watching the church bicker at each other publicly. Uh, at least it grieves me. And maybe it is the Spirit of God within me that's grieved when I see that happening. Or whom, uh, for whom you were uh, sealed on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Look at the two differences in the language in this one passage. Uh, we kind of have the recipe for uh, division, and then the recipe for reconciliation in the same passage. Speaking falsely, anger, sin, giving the devil a foothold, unwholesome talk, grieving the spirit, bitterness, anger, rage. Gosh, if that, if you're checking those boxes, you're not going to be resolved, right? These are the boxes we need to check. Speaking truthfully. These are our neighbors. These are members of our, our body. Things that are helpful to build each other. Uh, according to their needs, not just according to your need to vent. Uh, something that benefits those who are listening. And just actually the word listen. Sometimes it's just we're not listening, we're talking past each other based on a different narrative that we believe to be true, so we refuse to listen. Being kind and compassionate and ultimately forgiving each other. Amen. And so with David and Absalom, in a sense... What could have been with one conversation? You just think about that. In chapter 14, as it winded down there, and as Absalom approached the king, imagine if David said, you know what? 
you and I need to talk. And and Absalom would have said, I've been dying to talk to you. Uh, But it was too little too late. And in 2 Samuel chapters 15 through 18, of course, you see the rest of the story where Absalom does uh, rise to power and takes over the kingdom and, and sleeps with David's wives and concubines in broad daylight, that David abdicates the throne. And, and again, you might think, wow, that's so humble and trusting in God. Or maybe he just is the king of all conflict avoiders. <laughs> like, God anointed me king. No, I'm king. If we need to talk this out, that's fine, but this is the role that God gave me. But instead, he's like, well, I'll just, I don't want to deal with it. Can you imagine him fleeing the kingdom just to not have to deal with his own son in that, in that conflict? And you see with, uh, with Absalom, there's just this desire to be reconciled with his dad. In 2 Samuel chapter 18, uh, we kind of see that play out a little bit. Uh, eventually, the armies of Absalom and David are fighting, and Absalom does die. And somebody comes to announce it to David. And he says, My lord, the king, here's good news. The Lord has vindicated you today by delivering you from the hand of that of them who rose against you. The king said to the Cushite, Is the young man Absalom safe? The Cushite replied, May the enemies of my lord the king and all who rise to harm you be like that of that young man. The king was shaken. He went up to the room over the gateway and wept. And as he went, he said, Oh, my son, Absalom, my son, if only I had died instead of you. And you can read the, the rest of that chapter 19 where, where Joab says, David we just saved you and now you're weeping over Absalom and, and it just didn't even seem fair to Joab. Uh, and, you know, in other words, Joab's saying, you had your chance to deal with this and now you're upset because we dealt with it, right. right? And, you know, you wonder why did it take Absalom's death to really shake David? It really shook him to the core. I mean, he fasted, he mourned, he prayed. And, it, and I think that's actually very typical. You know, within families, there's a lot of unresolved hurt and pain. And it seems like everyone is okay holding on to those things for years and years until there's a death in the family. And then things start to surface, and yet death is final. You know, grief recovery method, I don't know if you guys use that here or some form of it, really tries to map out unresolved grief with those who have already passed. And, and I, th- I believe it can happen. I believe because of Christ and the healing work that he does with us, we can heal and really become resolved. But my question is, why are we waiting? Even with our own physical family, why are we waiting? Why are we allowing years to pass and not being resolved? Um, you know, my family is no different. Uh, we experienced this in my family. We, uh, we came together for my parents' 40th wedding anniversary, and we didn't know what to do for them. We were emailing each other back and forth, and, and the way my family deals with stuff is through uh, sarcasm, humor, and making light of everything. We, and it's not that we're not, yeah, it is that we aren't deep, I guess, you know what I mean? Because it's better to just laugh it off. And so we were cracking each other up behind my parents' back, emailing all just the funny stories of our upbringing. So we just decided, why don't we all just write a book for them? And I, I don't know why we didn't think through, like, 
So making fun of my parents on their 40th anniversary is a real good way to honor them. But knowing our family, we never even thought about that. It, we just were having so much fun. And this is the, the cover of the, the book that we called it Sorghum Memories, Laughing in the Face of Adversity. And if you don't know what sorghum is, that's the point. Like to us, our family knows that it's this black tree sap that my dad ate on his biscuits. You know what I mean? So there's so much inside uh, humor in this. My parents were poor. We grew up in Fort Collins. He was a bricklayer. My mom sort of was a seamstress out of the home. And, uh, you know, we didn't have a lot of money. She made my clothes or all the clothes for my older brothers. And then when my sister and I came along, at least, like, we refused to wear those clothes. So we started shopping probably at Kmart, you know. This was before the glorious days of Ross and Marshalls. Um, but nevertheless, we would have been in that store constantly. But nevertheless, I still am. Uh, that frugality is sort of enmeshed in me from my childhood. Uh, we just wrote so many funny stories, and uh, we were laughing to the point, you know, at the, at the anniversary. We even we even kind of dressed up and made fun of them. Like my, this is a picture of me and my dad as he was going off to work, and he worked so hard. He was one of those guys that had hands that you had known laid brick. You know what I mean? These right here are. I mean, I have some calluses from guitar playing, but <laughs> I, I don't lay brick. In fact, I tried, and then I had a double hernia. So, you know, I am not my dad, that's for sure. Uh, but, you know, about five years after that, uh, actually, that, that night, later that night after that party and celebration, uh, we all went home, and I literally was sore from laughing, and I, and I caught my mom just in a quiet moment by herself crying. And I thought, you know, because they were laughing too, but I, I just thought, what's wrong? And, and I guess I didn't realize the depth of pain and shame of growing up poor. It, 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 like, it didn't bother us, you know? I mean, I thought it was cool to get free lunch. I guess that's not cool, you know? That means you can't afford, like, Twinkies and good stuff. I thought, you know, the little pink tray with the square pizzas was in the corn that you throw away. I thought that was, like, a gift to our family, you know? But my mom did not see it as a gift. She saw it as hardship, raising five kids, and the pain that all that caused. And, and I, I think, though, she had begun to reconcile it, I just realized there's so much that, uh, that as a family we never really talked about, we never got deep because we just wanted to laugh, have fun, and just have those light touches the way Abes, Absalom and David just had a light touch and go our separate ways. And as my father passed away five years later, and then as my mom passed away two and a half years later, a lot of unknown stories, unknown to me, began to surface. Uh, within my family, you know, uh, a lot of uh, challenging things, a lot of things that I never really knew, and, and we had to go to really uncomfortable places that we hadn't gone to, and I, I wish that we had done it when we had the time, when we had my parents there, and, and I love my family. I, I'm super loyal to my family, and I'm grateful that this has taken us to a deeper level, but my encouragement to you is that reconciliation is such a powerful thing, don't just stop short. Don't let it be superficial. Don't live years and years with pain in your physical family or your spiritual family. And I think the spiritual family of God is no different, right? The spiritual family of God's no different. We have so many funny kingdom stories. Like, we can laugh. That's one of the things I love about Brian is God has used him 
in so many funny ways that really aren't funny at that time, but they really are hilarious. The, the, the Brian stories just, I really laugh. Bill Ellis is that for me now in Orlando. Bill planted a mission team in Guatemala. Uh, at their celebration service, he got a, an amoeba and spent the next six months near death losing 50 pounds uh, and like studying with people while on the toilet. I mean... <laughs> I, he, him dying is not funny, but I can't listen to that story without laughing, you know? And I think that's our whole kingdom existence. There's a lot of crazy, stupid, funny stories, but I think there's probably a lot of pain too. We've all gone through that. The goal is not to get through the kingdom pain-free. The goal is to get through reconciled with one another. And you know, we don't have to uh, wait for this. Jesus has already kind of opened that up as we're going to kind of land the plane here and talk about communion. First Peter says, you know, it, was, it wasn't with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. You know, Christ realized that sin is generational, and though we don't inherit the guilt of our, the sins of our fathers, we, we inherit the ramifications. We inherit family sins. We inherit cultural sins. We inherit sometimes even church-wide sins that, yeah. that God calls us to repent of. And, and, and the whole time is we really have a way to reconcile. We have a way to be redeemed uh, from those. And that is the blood of Christ. Because the path towards holding on to hurt and not being reconciled is an empty place. It's an empty place. And we're so afraid to go to that place of depth and, and, and experience the pain. But on the other side of that, when you are reconciled, you really begin to experience the redemption and the grace in the blood of Christ. Amen. So as we take communion, I, I just want us to remember this, uh, these points from today's lesson. You know, distance is widened when we avoid conflict. Yeah. And distance is dissolved with conflict resolution. I am so thankful that God sent Jesus to resolve and to reconcile me back into a relationship with Him. And He took it all. Like He took the blame for it. He let me off the hook and gave me a second opportunity to have that relationship with Him. Because I avoided that relationship with God for so many years. But once I finally dealt with my own sin and got reconciled with Christ... All that distance was dissolved. And I hope that we can continue to say uh, that you know, we feel the redemption that comes from Christ. We feel the redemption that comes from the price that God was willing to pay for us to reconcile us to himself. We were like Absalom. We were distant. We had gone and reverted back. And rather than a superficial reconciliation, he gave us and paid the price for our sin by giving us his son Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this uh, time. God, what a great uh, topic. Uh, Father, in some ways it's, it's easy to see all the biblical instruction for this. It's so much more challenging to actually put it into practice. But God, help us to be a people that confront pain, that confront the deeper issues, that, uh, that really desire uh, true reconciliation. God, be with us as we try to reconcile even in our family and, and navigate those hurts, even with those who aren't uh, perhaps people of faith, God, uh, when the rules are different. 
Uh, but God, help us also to resolve in the body of Christ. We are members of one body. God, may we truly be one and unified uh, and recognize the price that you paid for that unity in the, your son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.